If you've got your Bible, uh, turn to 2 Samuel 7. That was very um, uh, non-technology focused of me, although I guess books are technology. Uh, navigate to 2 Samuel 7 if you're following along on your smartphone. Um, just a little bit of Bible humor there as we get started this morning. Uh, we're going to read from 2 Samuel 7, and, uh, and then we will pray and, and turn to the explanation of God's word. The Bible says this, 2 Samuel 7, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. 
Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods? And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God. And your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that, you may con- so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Let's pray. Father, we come... Before you, we have come to this place this morning to hear a word from you. And we believe that when we hear the scriptures, we hear your very voice speaking to us, speaking to your people. We pray that you would help us to discern as we hear, Lord, to discern the truth from a lie. Perhaps some of the most dangerous lies are the ones that we tell ourselves on a regular basis. And so we pray that you would protect us from the lies which we have made agreements with. We pray that you would shine the light of your truth on us. And that we would forsake all lies in favor of the truth and goodness which you give us in Jesus. Father, we know that there are many things that we have been taught throughout our lives about you, and some of them are untrue. And so we pray that you would remove them. There are things that we believe about ourselves that are not true. We pray that you would correct. Lord, as as we consider the self This morning, uh, perhaps an endless and dangerous subject, I pray that all that we say would be pleasing to you and that your assessment of who we are would be what prevails and that it would simultaneously create humility and boldness and that we would leave aware of who we are, but not crushed. That we would leave warned, but also energized. 
that we would be excited and yet aware of the potentials for danger, but also the amazing possibilities of what you desire to do with us. We pray this, Lord, by your grace and for your glory. Amen. Um, quite possibly uh, one of the most helpful uh, inventions in my own personal life is the, uh, the GPS. Not that I invented it, that's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying that, that, that uh, I am the kind of person who can drive a route a hundred times and not know any of the street names, not be able to relate to you how to get there. People will call and they'll say, oh, I'm on my way to the church, how do I get there? And I'll start talking and my wife will be like, um, you know, I'm already giving the wrong directions or I'm giving inaccurate or confusing ones. And so GPS was amazing. We, we purchased a, uh, a little unit that, uh, that stuck to the, the windshield. This was a decade ago when GPSs had not yet mind melded with the technology that you carry around in your pocket. You know, it, it plugged into the cigarette lighter um, or the power outlet, sorry if that was not uh, correct. And, uh, and you could set the little, the little icon, which used to be either like a red or a blue dot, you know, you could set that to resemble your car. And so we had a silver minivan at the time and there was our van navigating and driving through the world. Um, GPS is amazing. It's, it's a, a time saver. It, it can be a life saver in terms of, of, uh, of, of shaving time or getting somewhere quickly in a, in a time of emergency. But GPS, uh, it, it is not um, strictly a, uh, a it, we, we think of it as directions, right? We think of it uh, as a, um, we think of it as a map. A map depends on two things. I'm gonna connect this to what, what we're gonna be talking about in just a second. Uh, a map helps you identify, once you've identified the destination and you become aware of where you are, you are able to navigate and get there. It is not enough to know that you wanna go someplace. You have to know where you are at that moment. That determines whether you turn right or left. Have you had this uh, experience where you are in a parking lot? It is 2017. The people who make maps can understand where parking lots are in relationship to the entire world, right? You're in the Burger King parking lot, right? And you're trying to, to leave there. No, we were actually at, uh, where were we? Bojangles in, uh, in, yeah, we didn't eat there. We left. Yeah, we were, we, my kids were like, we are not eating biscuits at 10 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, um, so we were, we, were, we were in the parking lot. Sorry if you like Bojangles. We didn't, we didn't eat there, so I can't judge it. And, and, um, and so we're, we're on the edge, and it's like, okay, turn right, you know? And so I'm about to turn right, and then it's like recalculating, right? You can't get me out of this parking lot. Like, you don't know quite yet. So when the directions start to change, we get, we get confused and, and nervous, right? We need to know where we are in order to know where it is that we're going. Does that make sense? Yeah, GPS depends on uh, uh, where you are at the moment, and then the map and the directions depend on where you want to go. 
As we've been talking about chasing joy, we have, we have identified the fact that Christians often get their being, who they are in relationship to God, and their doing, what they're called to do, mixed up, and we need to keep that in balance. Being is primary. Who, uh, what it is that we do flows from who we are, right? The, the mission of this church is not to make Jesus Christ known first, right? The front of the bulletin says to know Jesus Christ, to, to, be, to be, to be connected to him, to be knowledgeable about who he is and to, to understand who he is to us and then to make him known. Being leads to doing. Second, we need to make sure that we have enough space in our lives, that our lives aren't full and cluttered of all kinds of junk, we, we clear out space in our life so that we have time to grow in depth. And then we need to abide, and we talked about that last week. As we pursue the Lord, we need to press in to him in order to grow in him. But it's not enough to know who God is. It's not enough. We need to know who we are as we seek to respond to him. Because we are diverse and different in our interests, in our struggles, in our personalities, in our makeup, in our energy, in the way that we approach the world. There's all kinds of things that make us different and distinct. And what I recommend to you as solutions for life might not apply to you where you are in and of that moment. Now, why do I think this is a biblical concept? If you look in the book of Proverbs, I'm quoting from memory here, but I know this is true, so you know, check it out on your phone. In the book of Proverbs, there is a proverb that says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him. Right? Yeah. Is that always relevant all the time? Yeah. <laughs> right next to it is another proverb that says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. So which is the right thing to do? Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? It's not that it's 50% true. It's that wisdom is knowing, do I use a hammer, right? Or do I use a drill in this situation? Like, you know, is, this, does, is force required or is delicacy required? Wisdom teaches us that, that there are certain things that depend on situation. Now, that does, this does not broadly apply to every single area of ethics. The world is not completely and utterly relative. But when it comes to our next move, how we grow in Christ, we need to know who we are. And we have to have a sense of who we are. The amazing thing I find about, about preaching is many times people will say things like, oh, I wish so-and-so were here to have heard that sermon because they really need it. And I'm like, maybe. But the person who needs to change or the person who you have the greatest level of control in terms of changing is never somebody else. It's always you. It's always me, 
right? You know, part of the reason why I share and teach and make certain points is because these are the things that leap out to me as I study, not the things that I'm like, you need to know. I'm like, this is instructive for me. This is helpful for me. And if it helps you, if it helps me, hopefully it will help you. Um, so, so, so we need to know who we are, where we're going, what we're doing in order to get closer to Christ. Does that make sense? Now, as we come to this passage, David receives a word from the Lord. He receives this word in response to his plan, what it is that he determines in his heart. He looks at the situation. God has been good to him. God has blessed him. And David, I think with good intent, says, I'm going to build a house for God since he's been so good to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a massive temple to celebrate God. And Nathan is like, great idea, David. You go ahead and do that. Go and do all that's in your heart. Isn't, doesn't that just make us sing when we say to somebody, like, hey, I have an idea. I want to do this. And they're like, do whatever. Do yeah, Pursue that. Run with your dreams. Like, break out of your little cocoon butterfly and fly. Be free. And we're like, yes. Nathan's like, go do everything in your heart, right? So as he hears that, David's like, okay, great. I'm going to, maybe he starts breaking out the plans, right? You know, he takes a napkin and a pen and he starts doodling, you know, like uh, uh, temple plans. And then Nathan hears from the Lord. Nathan hears what the Lord will do, what the Lord wants to do. To do. Now, I want to talk about two things with regard to this passage. One, I want to talk about the historical meaning, and then I want to talk about what I see as the human implication, why this story, as I was pondering this idea, why this leapt out to me as instructive and important here. The response to David from Nathan, from God, is God says, it is not for you to determine who will build my house or how my house will be built. I am in control of the story. You are my servant. I have called you. I have drawn you into the story that I am telling. And you are called to serve me, honor me, support me, follow me. Right? The word comes back to David that, that look, I haven't asked for you to build me a house. You know, you don't build a house for me. And then there is this amazingly gracious promise from God. God says to David, I will build a house for you. I will build a house for you. And David's reply in the second half of the passage here is, that sounds like a great plan. Do it, right? We fast forward to the New Testament and we find the word of the angel to Mary is this. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, the angel says to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will, God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now the, the kingly line of David had endured 
in Israel up to this point. People knew who the descendants of David were. This is why genealogies were so important to them and why they're stuck all over the place in Old Testament books, because they have an expectation that, that somebody will come in the line and family of David and who will be the recipient of this kingly promise, right? We, we call that, we use a fancy word for that, we call that the Messiah. You know, he's the, he's the expected one. God promised David a name, a throne and a kingdom. And Jesus comes to take up that line, take that title, take that throne. Joseph, who would marry Mary, was told this as he was considering putting Mary away and not marrying her because she was discovered to be pregnant. The angel comes and says, as he's considering these things, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Messiah was not just a political deliverer who would come to earth, kick out the Romans, and establish a kingdom where the Jews would live safely forever. Instead, the Messiah was coming to, to take upon himself the burden of human sin and to save God's people. That, that is the big plan, the big idea that God is working out through all scripture. We find early in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, that, that God is going to give Abraham a son, not Isaac, a future son who would bless all the nations. God says, I'll make your name great. I'm going to bless all nations through you. And what's Abraham's response? Abraham's like, sounds awesome. Let's do it. I'm in, right? And so the promise to Abraham is the, the guide of the storyline of the Bible up until 2 Samuel 7 when we have a new promise introduced, a promise to David that someone in his line would be a king, a messiah. And so we get some clarity and some progress. It's interesting, when you look in the Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, we ask, is this, is this the story of the Bible? The genealogy that kicks off the book of Matthew says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 2 Samuel 7, the son of Abraham, Genesis 12. Matthew is saying, you, you, you like the Bible, like you're interested in that story and that promise, Abraham, I'll, I'm going to introduce you to the guy who fulfills that. That's the big story of what's going on. The big story of what God is, is doing in the world. He, that is Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, will save his people from their sins. He comes as a deliverer to deliver the world from pain and oppression, and struggle, and illness, and disease, and violence, and wickedness, and selfishness, and alienation from God. All the things that the world struggles with, the answer is right here. That God is calling to people and saying, I will save you. Jesus is the one who comes, takes our sins upon himself, goes to the cross to be crushed on our behalf, having lived a perfectly righteous life, he stands in our place, takes our death 
and our penalty. And we receive his righteousness when we believe in him by faith. That's the historical meaning of this passage. And what is David's response? David's reply is, this sounds great. Let's do it. I want that. Now, I think there's a human implication to this story as well. What I want to dig down into in the time that I've got left is to talk about the fact that, that, that when we come to Christ, when we look at him, when we say, I need deliverance from my sins, I need righteousness from God, I have sinned against God, I am, I am not right, I need, I need deliverance, I have done things God has told me not to do, I have failed to do the things God's commanded me to, I, I desire other things other than him, I desire wickedness and not righteousness, you know, I have cravings and appetites that draw me away, and, and, and I know they're wrong, but that's what I pursue, and what I really want is what's right, I need to be delivered and saved. When we, when we enter into that reality, many times then we say, I guess now I'm just supposed to listen to the Bible or read it or be good or something. Like, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? How do I grow? How do I experience transformation and change? And then we fall into this trap of, of, of trying to do and getting weary with doing. And then we, we move over here and now we need to know and we want to learn more. And then we learn so much and we know all this stuff, but we're like, man, I'm not putting it into practice. So we're, we're educated beyond our obedience, right? Or we're, we're trying to obey ourselves in the kingdom and we encounter this struggle and this pain. But here's what I think is important to know. That God is good and he is pleased with us because of the work which Christ has done for us. I think it was Spurgeon who said that the, the entire life of the Christian is lived under the smile of God. What a, what a powerful thing to think of. Consider that against the truths of the scripture which, which teach it. What we need to do at, at each place and at each stage of our life as we look at the next level of growth or we think, like, how do I continue to embrace transformation is we need to say, okay, what has God promised? What is he calling me to? Where am I supposed to be going? How am I supposed to be developing and growing? And where am I right now? Self-awareness and divine awareness, right? We, we make time when we, get our, when we get margin, we make time to consider who God is and his promises, and we see him in all of his goodness and grandeur and glory. And then we need to take a look at ourselves and say, who am I and where am I? And we need to take an assessment. David wants to serve the Lord. He wants to do something for God. But that is not what is in God's plan for him. And so he has to receive correction and change his own storyline. Here's, here's what I want to take a look at. There are a number of realizations that I think David has and David has to experience in order to get to the point where he's excuse me, ready to pray and to say, yes, let's do it. Let's do that. Think about what David could have done, right? David says to Nathan, I'm going to build a temple right? 
Nathan says, brilliant idea. You're such a great king. You're so smart. You're so wonderful. I am so happy to work for the David administration. You know, like you're brilliant. And Nathan goes out and makes a press release and says, we are building a temple. And that is what we are doing, right? You know, we're going we're gonna to go for it. And then Nathan goes home. And as he's walking home, the word of the Lord comes to him as a prophet. And is like, Nathan, what did you do? Now he's like, now i got to walk it back, right? Now he goes back to David. And David's like, oh, no, we are doing this. I got the word of the Lord from you yesterday. You gave me the seal of approval. We are going there. We are not going back. Nope. Nope, I have your approval. You gave it, and you can't take that back, right? We used to do this when we were kids. No take backs, right? You know, somebody gives you something, you're like, no take backs. But David has to make some realizations. Jesus teaches us in the scriptures that he is the vine, and we are the branches, and that when we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. By the way, think about this. David has the Old Testament at this time. He's got some, some books. He's got Genesis. He's got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's got some stuff, book of Joshua, right? But he doesn't have the Psalms. He's not written a bunch of them yet, right? You know, he's got some of them, Psalm 23, but it's not the world's most beloved Psalm yet, you know, because he wrote it. You know, he doesn't have a whole host of prophets. He doesn't have the New Testament. So there is a weight of knowledge and wisdom that we have that David does not have, that he does not benefit from. And so David is, is experiencing this in real time. He doesn't know that someday people will draw stories and pictures of, of him, you know, fighting the giant, right? You know, like, you know, David could be like, no, the armor is not exactly right, right there. Like, I was up close. I saw it. It was right there. He, he doesn't have any of that benefit. We look back at him as a hero. He was just doing the next right thing or the next wrong thing, depending on where you are in the story. David has to experience some realizations, but I think that he knows something that God has put in our hearts as human beings right from the very beginning. David knows that he is for a purpose. He knows that. Rather than just sitting back and saying, I'm going to be the king and I'm going to enjoy pleasure and power, he says, I want to do something. God calls me. He called me into fellowship with him. He's done this amazing thing for me. He's given me peace all around. I want to do something for him. That's an incredible realization as a Christian. As you look at the world and look at the problems in the world and the struggle in the world and the difficulty that you have in life in general, many times it is easy to feel overwhelmed. And while we're encouraged on, uh, by, by children's books and movies and Pinterest to be unique and to write your own story, it is incredibly difficult to not feel like a number in this world, isn't it? Or to feel like you're not worth anything more than your net worth. But the scriptures teach us that we are created for a purpose, that God has a purpose and plan for us. And so it is right and good to say, I want to do something, but we need to keep that in connection to another realization. And that is, I am a creature. 
God sets the agenda, and we are to find our joy in it. We struggle with this. We are Americans, right? You know, and, and we have a manifest destiny, and we are the world shapers, and no one tells us what to do. We've got the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And that means I do whatever I choose. We embrace self-determination, and we do not like dependence. We like independence. But it is difficult, right, if we are created to be connected like a vacuum cleaner is, right? When the, when the prongs break, like you might not know what they're for, positive, negative, ground, but if one of those things snaps off and you plug that thing in and the power doesn't connect up right, it is not doing what it's supposed to do at all. And when we're not connected and dependent on God, we go our own way. He sets the agenda. David has to realize, I am dependent. Look at what God says in verse 8. I took you from the pasture, right? Verse 9, I have been with you. David has to realize, I'm not yet perfect. I do not see all things clearly, but God does. And he's running ahead. God has a plan. David, David learned this, and so his instinct in, in responding is probably pretty pretty well shaped by now, right? Do you realize that after David was anointed king, he had to wait years to become king. And he could have become king of his own initiative at different times. When David uh, was hiding in the cave because Saul was trying to pin him to the wall with his spear, you know, David's hiding. And, and so David's in the back of the cave and Saul pulls aside, as the scripture says, to do his business in the cave, right? And all of David's men are in the back of the cave with him. He's got like 600 guys with him. A bunch of his leaders are hiding, right? And here comes Saul and Saul sits down in front of him. Perhaps his back is turned and David's right there and all of David's men are like, David, David, Saul's right there and you've got a sharp sword, like push it through him and you are the king because everybody likes you and everybody's afraid of Saul. Go for it, become king, right? David could have done it at that moment, but he's not gonna reach out his hand and strike the Lord's anointed. He's been patient with the plan of God up to this point. He realizes he is dependent and not in charge of the story. And as Christians, we need to be very careful not to turn our faith into idolatry by picking and choosing in the scripture what we're going to believe and obey. That doesn't really resonate with me. So I just I eliminate that from the story. I prefer to think of God this way. Right? We need to be very careful of that. When we, when we create God in our image, as Michael Card would say, our faith becomes idolatry. We are creatures and we are part of God's story and not vice versa. I am for a purpose. I am a creature. And then David also realizes here that he is the Lord's. And as Christians, as we realize we are created for a purpose and we are creatures, we embrace the fact that we are sinners, yes, but we also need to remember that, that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, the image of God in us is restored, that the spirit takes up residence, that we're being refashioned into the image of the one who's created us, that we are justified and made right. And therefore, 
We have to live in the identity of who we are, who we have been declared to be. The Bible says that we are justified. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him, in Christ, we could become the righteousness of God. Now, when you, when you think, I am the Lord's, I am in Christ, this is what, what we need to believe about ourselves, because this is the truth of the gospel, that all of our sin goes on Christ on the cross. That means that all of our sin is paid for. That means he drank the cup of God's wrath for us, that he took every sin, he took every sin and he drank it down, that the cup is empty, that when we come to the cup of God's wrath and say, what will I need to bear for myself? What hasn't Christ paid for? What difficulty must I experience? What, what punishment needs to come on me? We come to find the cup completely clean and empty because Christ has drank it down for us. We have received his righteousness. Do you know what that means? From God's perspective, you are as righteous as Christ. And if you say, no, not me, you're not trusting in your identity as a Christian. You're not trusting in what you've been given in the gospel. You're choosing to believe a halfway lie. That you are forgiven, but not yet usable by God. That, that, that God has forgiven you, but he doesn't really like you. Right? That he, that he allows you to worship him on Sunday and, and give some money and, and maybe volunteer in some way in the church. But he really doesn't have a very big plan for you because you're kind of still scummy. And that's a lie. It's a lie. David realizes that he is the Lord's. Is he perfect? No. Go back and look at the story up to this point. He's not even committed his big sin yet, but he's done some pretty crazy stuff. We are justified in Christ. If anyone, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. When we're in him, we are chosen. God knows us. We are his servant. These are all things that David uses to describe himself. And so there are two decisions required by David and decisions required by us. The first is this. I've said it a couple times. So they say repetition is the mother of learning, right? Um, and so maybe they say that. They probably don't say it anymore. Now they probably say stop repeating yourself. And that's why I, why I feel nervous about repeating myself all the time. Um, but, but this is the first decision. It's the humility to abandon our own self-determination and the false self. This idea that, that, that you're a Christian, but you're not fully accepted and loved by God is, is a false idea. It's a lie. And so if you're going through life saying, well, you know, can't really accomplish anything for God or I can't really do anything of significance or, you know, maybe someday God will forgive me or, you know, you, you're not owning what the scriptures say about you. 
David says, this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to do for God. And Nathan comes back and says, no, you're not going to do that. God has a different plan. And David needs to have the humility to say, okay, that's fine. I don't need to build a great big temple for my glory or for God's glory. I can abandon my plan and trust in his plan. As Christians, we need to embrace the bigger plan, the big plan that God has for us. I used to really struggle with all of the mission and vision talk that was hanging around at, at the, uh, the grad school that I went uh, to go and get my degree, to get trained in theology. Uh, and, and a lot of professors were talking about mission and vision. And one of the things that I, 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 I just I landed on this early, and I think it's been true through all these years, is that, is that our mission for our own life needs to connect and intersect with God's mission and vision. And God has a mission and a vision for the world. The vision is in the book of Revelation, a city where all peoples come and go and there is no need for a sun because the son of God is in the center. He is the, the light and there's righteousness there and worship and purity. That's where God is going. A, a tribe from every tongue and and every people and every nation praising God, that's what God is doing. If we don't tie our mission and our vision to that, then it's not big enough and significant enough. That's his goal. That's his desire. So what do we do now in this world? When we ask the question, what am I for? What is my purpose? Micah 6.8, the prophet says this, He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? We're created to love and honor God in our lives. We're called to, to lift him up and to exalt him and to, to honor him. We're called to make disciples, to be involved in the mission, not just of knowing Jesus, but also introducing to others and then helping them shape their faith and to grow in transformation and to experience the joy of knowing God and knowing the gospel and being forgiven. But we're also called to love others, to be kind, to do justly. called to look out at the world and to say, what good needs to be done out there? And how do I get to be part of it? You know, it's cool. We're having a, an interest meeting for the, the Zambia clinic team today. Uh, Dr. Margie, who we support, many of you know that I've, I've gone and I've taken teams over there. The, the teaching opportunity seems to be going away. And, and therefore, I thought the team opportunity was going away. And only people who had medical uh, degrees were, were allowed to go over to the clinic, right? But, but here's what happened. Margie, Dr. Margie, calls Melissa and says, I want you to come. This is cool. Of all the medical professionals that have come through the clinic, Margie calls our Melissa and says, I want you to come and bring a team that can flip the clinic from a clinic into an eye surgery center. We're going to run the clinic while you're here and an eye surgery center. And then at the end of your trip, we're going to put it back to, to the way it was. And I want you to come. That's cool. 
Think about that. You, you might be like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know medical stuff, but if you can follow orders and move things around and be organized and efficient and not get your feelings hurt when somebody says put that there and not there, like you can go and be part of doing good for people. I think this is amazing. Interest meeting today, 12-15, right? Go, be part of it. We're called to do good in the world. And so we need to ask this question. Uh, my, my pastor once told me, he said, this is Mike Greiner, uh, my, my mentor. I talk about him all the time. Everybody's like, we know. You said your mentor, your pastor is Mike Greiner. Um, sorry, Mike, if you ever listen to this message. Um, I'm not diminishing you. But, but he used to say that most people that you encounter have got one big lie in front of them that they're grappling with and, and dealing with. That, that, that the gospel needs to be applied to, right? The lie might be something like, I need to control everything. You know, or the lie might be, I'm garbage. Or the lie might be, I, I don't know that I can do anything. I don't, I don't know that I'm significant. Whatever it is, like we need to grapple with that and apply gospel truth to it to get it out of the way so that we can move towards God. We're driving over here this morning. It's just me and Hank, and we're zipping down the road. And I'm looking on, on Route 50, and I'm like, what is Did they, like, put a building up or something? Probably time to go get my glasses checked, right? And I'm like, oh, it's the drawbridge. Great. And Hank's like, guess we can't go to church this morning. <laughs> and, he, and he loves church. He loves it here. You know, he's like, but I was going to say my Bible verse, like Miss Pat, you know, and he's, he's going on and on. But I'm like, the, the obstacle will move, and then we will be able to get to the destination. As believers, we need to go around, under, over, or through the lies which we tell ourselves, the lies which other people tell us, the lies which Satan tell us that keep us from being who we're called to be. We can believe all kinds of things about God and not be humble enough to embrace who he has called us to be, what he has called us to, and we short-circuit the purpose of God in our lives. We fail to be courageous. We need the humility to abandon our own self-determination and the false self. As we look at ourselves, we need to ask this question what, what, are we, what are we like? What kind of spiritual gifts has God given us? What are we passionate about? What kind of abilities has he given us? What kind of personality do we have? And what have those experiences in the past been like that have shaped us? I was very bothered growing up in a church community that, that seemed to be very oriented towards, oh, well, that's just the way we do things. And I would ask questions, and they would be like, why are you asking that question? Shush, just listen to what's said and do what you're told. It bothered me. And so as a, as, a, as a pastor, you know, like trying to give people answers about the scriptures and give people hope, I've always been like, there's no questions that are, that are, that are off limits. Do you want to ask a question about the Bible? Go ahead and ask it. 
And the answer shouldn't be, how dare you ask that question? It should be, it should be, what a great question. Let's talk about that. And sometimes you say, like, I don't know, I need to read some stuff, and I'll come back and give you an answer. But that was my experience. It shaped who I am and the way that I try to minister. You've had significant experiences that have, have either because of the, the the difficult emotions and then the comfort that you've received in the gospel, you now you now seek to comfort others, or because of some kind of injustice that's been done to you, you seek to, to look to others and say, I'm gonna help you, or because people have been generous and kind with you, you have devoted your life to being generous with others. God has shaped you in a specific way. He's designed your life to this point, that, that you would live out that mission. So there's an important question to, to ask. We, we need to be humble enough to abandon the false self, these, these, these uh, mechanisms or designs that we use to, to protect or control our life. But we also need to be bold and courageous enough to embrace our true self, who we have been built to be, designed to be by God. Now, this is tricky territory. I want to be very careful because I, I don't want to fall into a trap. As Christians, we need to be comfortable asking ourselves, am I satisfied with who I am? Not to be complacent and to say, oh, that's just who I am. Yeah, I yell a lot, you know, but nobody's perfect. No, it's like, no, that's why you irritate everybody. Stop <laughs> yelling all the time. Not complacent, not blind to our faults, but looking at our lives and saying, I'm... I'm content with the gifts God's given me. I, I look at these experiences, and instead of claiming victimhood and becoming paralyzed, I say I will move into significant ministry using these experiences. I'm going to apply what has happened or what I've experienced to others. In the parable of the talents, the guy who had only two looked at the guy who had five and the guy who had ten and was like, I don't have enough margin or opportunity in my life to take a risk. What if I lose them? Right? The guy, the guy with five had something and the guy with ten had something. We're called, each and every one of us, to lay hold of the gifts, the experiences, the passions that we have and to use them for God's Glory. We have to have the boldness and the courage to embrace the true self defined by God and God's purpose in our lives. This is where it gets, it gets difficult because it's very easy to then, to then say, Pastor Keith said that what we need to do is to say, I believe that children are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride, right? I don't know, I run out of lyrics. You know, but the greatest love of all lives inside of you. It can't be a self-absorbed, self-focused love, but it has to be one that says, God created me, designed me, shaped me, and is going to use me for a purpose, or you will sit on the bench. Boldness to embrace it. David's response to God is, I trust that you know me. I want what you have for me. I'm going to praise you. This is going to resound to your glory. I will serve the vision and the mission that you have. David says this, God, you have spoken to me. You've told me truths. And that's why I have the confidence and boldness to pray the way that I'm going to pray right now. 
That's a quote, but it's not exact, and I'm, I'm not going to look down because I'm going to move on. This is, what, this is what David says. God says, you made a promise to me. Do it. Let's do it. I accept. Yes, let's go. Isn't that amazing? Why does David have the boldness? Because, because God has made promises to him. Think about how few promises David had at that point. And think, we have a book full of thousands of words from the Lord. And the identity that we've given ought to sustain us. When Jesus was baptized, the voice of the Lord came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He was told that he was loved, that he was a child of God, and that God was pleased with him. And then what happened? Jesus went into the wilderness to fight a battle, to resist temptation so that he could save the entire human race. And he won. He had an experience from the Lord in that water, and then he was driven out into the wilderness. Think about that. We are in Christ. That means that you are loved, you are a child of God, and God is pleased with you. And so you need to ask this question, where am I at this moment? What lie am I grappling with? What, what truth am I struggling to apply to myself? What pit do I keep falling into over and over and over again? What do I let the world tell me I am? What do I tell myself I am? What lies is Satan nourishing in my soul? Think of that. Like There might be a garden of stuff in there that the devil's like happily pruning and you know stewarding, and you're just leaving it alone because you're thinking, I'm just junk. But if you are in Christ, if you put your faith and trust in him, then you can know that you are loved by God, that you are a child of God, of God and that he is pleased with you and then you can say what are we going to do now what are we going to do today God where, where do you want to take me for many of us this feels like incredible boldness because we're like I'm just a sinner well no you are a saint forgiven by God given an identity. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You are righteous with the righteousness of Christ if you put your faith in him because your sins have been sent away, forgiven, canceled out. And therefore, you are able to look out at the world and to say, if the Spirit of God is living within me, how do I bring that to bear on my world? Because God has no plan B for the world. He's not like, well, you know, if the church doesn't do it, maybe the government can handle the world's problems. Read Romans 13. The, the, world's, the, the, the governments of the world are there to punish evil, right? And to reward those who do good, not solve every global problem. God's plan is the church. And you, we, are the church. So... You know who he is and what he wants to do. Where, where are you? What kind of turns do you need to make to get closer? 
What, what lie do you need to forsake? What, what thing do you need to believe? What, what, what safety do you need to leave, leave behind? What, what do you need to embrace humbly to take the next step? What do you need to believe in order to be bold and to take the next step? Because we're not going to move down the road towards joy unless we know where we are in relation to where he is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and kindness. We thank you for David, who in a very real way mirrors the pattern of our own life. Lord, we, we have so many blessings. We've got an abundance of your goodness in us, surrounding us, filling us, and yet we do incredibly stupid things at times. We sin and we fail. We mess up, and yet your grace is greater than all of our sin. The blood of Jesus cancels out our unrighteousness. Father, I pray that like David, we would receive the rebuke of the scriptures when it comes to us and it says, that is against my will. That is contrary to my purpose and that we would say, God, forgive me, a sinner. But I pray we would not believe the lie of the devil that would keep us in captivity and bondage and keep us bent over and chained. But instead that we would rise up as justified children of God called to assault the gates of hell. And I pray that in humility we would join with you, that we would do justice, love kindness, and walk with humility with our God. Father, deliver us from lies. Feed us with truth. Shape us for your glory for the mission of the church to draw others to itself, to you. And Lord, shape us for our joy, we pray. We thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.